Very nice to ha have you all with us again. It's, uh, it's very lovely to have some of the Otter Creek uh, youth group with us this morning. Thank you all for being here, being with us. Delightful to have you with us. In this intergenerational gathering, we don't get to have as many intergenerational gatherings as uh, this perhaps would be good for us a lot of times. So it's very nice to have you all here this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. O oh, gracious God, for the gifts of this day, we give great thanks. For your kindness and mercy to us, we give thanks. That you've given us the gift of life, that you have pursued us with a loving, dogged persistence. And we give thanks that you uh, don't leave us in messes of our own making and yet have sought to redeem your creation and have called us into the new humanity in Christ. We thank you for this great gift, O oh God. And we pray that as your church, you would help us to bear faithful witness to Christ, bear faithful witness to the way that you have shown us of what it means to be truly human, that you would free us from the ways in which the dominion of darkness continues its hold on our lives and that we might continue to grow and mature into the way of Christ which is so free and lacking self-consciousness and lacking bondage of fear and is so capable of love and compassion and kindness and free from all sorts and varieties of bondage. We give thanks, O oh Lord, that you've given us all of this and we pray that you would help us as your body of people to encourage one another and help one another to grow and that we would learn more and more how to share with one another where we've come from and where we are seeking to go and grow. And that you might give us wisdom about how we might bless one another and encourage one another. Keep us from the false conceit that Christianity is a solo game. And remind us always that what we bring to the community is of utmost importance that the spirit we bring, the words that we bring, the presence that we bring, the encouragement, the kindness, the compassion, the mercy and the love that we bring is all of utmost importance every time we show up to one another. And grant us an awareness and an intentionality to take seriously this calling and this gift that you have given us. Grant us the capacity to pay attention to one another, especially pay attention to the griefs or the difficulties or the pain that those around us might be carrying. And oh God, you know that we all carry such pains. And you know that we're all fighting our own battles. 
And so we would pray that you would help us to be kind and attentive. I thank you for each of the men and women in this room, the young men and women, the old men and women, all of us gathered here together today, that you would grant all that is needed and grant us the grace to rest in your provision and your love. And we pray together now as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And it is not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So as I said, all oh good, y'all come on in. There's plenty of seats on the front row, <laughs> Kim Tolliver, right here on the front row. Yes, right. Welcome to all. So as I said, my name's Lee Camp. For those of you who I've not had the privilege yet to meet, uh, so I'm one of three of the shepherds that is working with this uh, team group number six. Um, maybe we'll need to come up with a better name than group number six. <laughs> but, but we'll have to avoid spiritual arrogance, I suppose, in our name. But, you know, so, so many good options come to mind. But, uh, so I, along with Craig Budsoe and Steve Sherman, are kind of those assigned with this group. And uh, hopefully you've been getting emails. Uh, if you haven't been getting emails, then uh, let us know. And Laurie uh, Netterville always can help us update any sort of information that you might need to get updated. Uh, but always feel free to reach out to us, and you have our, hopefully, emails, uh, telephone numbers, all of that is in the directory as well. So please always let us know how we can be of help to you and, and of service to you. One of the things that I think is um, worth reiterating always is that the um, one, one of the reasons that we have enjoyed doing these January classes with the shepherds kind of meeting with with the church is because it, it helps us kind of give a give a reset even though our kind of our agenda for teaching each year has been various things and this year we're going to just be working out of the book of Colossians uh, one of the things that it helps us do is kind of gives us a reset um, to remind us that um, what church is about you know and that, that churches churches we can we can get distracted sometimes by all of the various concerns that come with um, navigating, negotiating what's become a large church body. And, and the facts are that um, there, there's been lots of sociological studies done on the ways in which groups change at various markers of size. And this church has changed very significantly over the last decade, two decades, because we've become a, a relatively large church. And that brings with it certain considerations that, we, you know, the leadership, the staff have done the best we know to do to navigate these kind of changes and difficulties. But the fact is that none of that um, is at the essence or key to what church is. And that in the New Testament, church has this very high calling. And, and one of the things you see even in the book of Colossians is this radical claim 
in the book of Colossians, where, it, and it's a verse that, as much as we talked about the church growing up, I, I was raised in, in Alabama Churches of Christ, and we talked about the church a lot, but one of the things that we didn't talk about much was this, this verse out of Colossians that says that the church is to show to the world, is to show to the powers, the wisdom of God. In other words, the calling of the church is to be a community. Imagine this. The church is supposed to be a community that when the broken, hurting, fractured, hostile, too often oppressive, too often violent world looks at the church, what's supposed to happen is that the world sees in the church, oh, that's what it could mean for us to be truly human. Isn't that something? And isn't it terrifying to think that that's our calling? <laughs> but that's our calling. And so one of the things that has been important to us in trying to think about you know, getting to, to be with the church in this role in, in January is just to give us a, a reset of saying, what's it mean to be church? And so we have this wonderful opportunity to kind of think through this, some of this, in looking at the book of Colossians as we go. So uh, for today, um, I've got a great video from the Bible Project. It's like eight or nine minute video. So I'm going to show that. It'll give us a quick overview of the whole of the book. Then we're just going to, I'm going to give you a lens to look at, look through as we read chapter one. And then we'll have a bit of conversation with the group as we go and thinking about chapter one. So here's, here's the uh, Bible Project video. Paul's letter to the Colossians. It was written during one of Paul the Apostle's many imprisonments for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And the letter is addressed to a group of people that Paul had never met who made up a church community that he didn't start. This church in Colossae was started by a co-worker of Paul's named Epaphras, who was actually from that city. And Epaphras had recently visited Paul in prison, and he updated him on how well the Colossians were doing overall, but he also mentioned some of the cultural pressures tempting them to turn away from Jesus. And so Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Colossians to address the issues that Epaphras had raised, and then to challenge them to a greater devotion to Jesus. The letter's design and flow of thought are pretty easy to follow. The opening movement focuses on Jesus as the exalted Messiah. Paul then goes on to show how his suffering in prison is for the exalted Jesus. And then he addresses the pressures tempting the Colossians to turn away from Jesus. After this, he explores the new way of life that Jesus' resurrection opened up for them. So the letter opens with two <coughs> prayers. Paul first thanks God that he learned from Epaphras that the Colossians have been totally faithful to Jesus, showing love for God and their neighbors, all because of the hope they have in the new creation that Jesus has in store. And so he moves on to pray that they would grow in their wisdom and understanding about Jesus. And then Paul has placed a poem here to help the Colossians and us do exactly that. It's the centerpiece of chapter 1, a poem all about the crucified and exalted Messiah. It has two parallel stanzas, and it's crammed with language and imagery from the books of Genesis and Exodus, from the Psalms and the Proverbs. The first stanza explores how Jesus is the true image of God. In him, the full character and purpose of God is embodied in a human. He's the firstborn, an Old Testament phrase about Jesus' royal status over all creation. He shares in the very identity of the one true creator God. And by him, all reality, all powers and authorities, spiritual and human, have been created. 
It's in Jesus the Messiah that we discover the very author and king of creation. And so in the second stanza, we discover he's also the one bringing about a new creation. He's the head of a new body, which refers to Jesus' people, who are the new humanity, of which his own resurrection existence is a prototype. In him, God's glorious temple presence dwells, and so it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that God has reconciled himself to humanity, to all spiritual powers, to all of creation. It's a remarkable poem, and Paul will keep referring back to it as he goes on in the letter. So he first shows how the truth of this poem transforms his own experience of suffering in prison. He's being punished for announcing to the Greek and the Roman world that Jesus is the resurrected Lord and King of all. And so his suffering, he thinks, is not a sign of defeat. It's actually his way of participating in Jesus' own suffering done as an act of love. And so his hardships are actually a cause for joy. He's imprisoned for the surprising news that Israel's resurrected Messiah is creating a new multi-ethnic family. And more, just as the divine glory dwelt in Jesus, so Jesus dwells in and among his international family. Or as Paul says, the Messiah is in you all, the hope of glory. Paul then addresses the cultural pressures that are tempting the Colossians to turn away from Jesus. They were confronted by a combination of mystical polytheism along with a pressure to observe the laws of the Torah. So all these new Christians, they had grown up worshipping the various Greek and Roman gods who governed different arenas of human life. And many simply included Jesus as one more deity that they could worship. There was also great pressure from the Jewish Christian community for these non-Jews to complete their commitment to the Messiah by following all of the laws found in the Torah. Specifically, he mentions eating a kosher diet, observing sacred days, and circumcision. It's very similar to the problem he addressed in the letter to the Galatians. For Paul, to give in to either of these temptations is compromise. It's a failure to grasp who Jesus really is and what he did on their behalf. The Colossians used to live in fear of spiritual powers and elemental spirits, as Paul calls them. But Jesus triumphed over these through his death and resurrection. He freed the Colossians from any obligation to them. In the same way, Jesus fulfilled on our behalf all of the laws of the Torah, which never had the power to transform the selfish human heart anyway. And so what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection, it lacks nothing. It doesn't need to be supplemented by following the laws. He is the reality to which all of the laws of the Torah were pointing anyway. Instead of the laws, followers of Jesus have the power of his resurrection to change them, which is what he goes on to explore. Following Jesus means joining his new humanity, because their lives have now been joined to the risen Jesus' life. And this is why Paul challenges the Colossians to set their minds on things above, where the Messiah is seated, or rules at God's right hand. Now Paul doesn't mean here, think about how you'll one day leave earth and go to heaven. Rather, the heavens are the transcendent place from which Jesus rules now over all of creation. And from there, he will one day return here to transform all things. Or, as Paul says, when the Messiah who is your life is revealed, you too will be revealed with him in glory. So Paul challenges them to live in the present as the kinds of new humans they will one day become. He uses the image of their old humanity, characterized by distorted sexuality and destructive speech. For Christians, 
that humanity died with Jesus and has been replaced by his own new humanity, which is characterized by mercy and generosity, by forgiveness and love. And this humanity, it transcends the ethnic and social boundary lines of our world to create, in Paul's words, a people where there is no one Greek or Jewish, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, but the Messiah is all and is in all people. Paul then gets really practical, and he shows the Colossians what this new humanity might look like in a first century Roman household, which was a highly authoritarian institution, where the male patriarch held the power of life and death over his wife and children and slaves. Not so in a Christian household. Here, the risen Jesus is the true Lord. And so, in the Lord, the wife allows her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is subject to Jesus by loving his wife and placing her well-being above his own. In a home where Jesus is Lord, children are not objects, but are called to maturity and to respect. And parents are to raise their children <coughs> with patience and understanding. Christians who are slaves are to honor their human masters precisely because they're not the real master. Jesus is. And Christians who have slaves are to understand that this slave is not their property, but rather a fellow member of Jesus' body to be honored and embraced in love. And Paul's walking a very fine line here. He is reshaping the most basic Roman institution around Jesus, who rules by his self-giving love. And so while he doesn't abolish the household structure outright, the exalted Messiah demands that it be transformed, almost beyond the point of recognition for any Roman living in Colossae. You can see this most clearly in the letter's conclusion. After a request for prayer, Paul applies these instructions about Christian slaves and masters. And we discover that Tychicus is the one carrying and <coughs> reading this letter to the Colossians. And he's accompanied by a certain Onesimus, who was a former slave to a Colossian Christian named Philemon. And we discover from another letter addressed to Philemon that Onesimus had escaped from his master. It was a crime worthy of imprisonment. But Paul asks the whole church to greet Onesimus as a faithful and beloved brother in the Lord. And then in the letter to Philemon, Paul says that he should receive Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Talk about ending the letter with a punch. So in the letter to the Colossians, Paul is inviting us to see that no part of human existence remains untouched by the loving and liberating rule of the risen Jesus. Our suffering, our temptation to compromise, our moral character, the power dynamics in our homes, all of it must be re-examined and transformed. We are invited to live in the present as if the new creation really arrived when Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what the letter to the Colossians is all about. So what we're going to do now is um, read through... I'm going to read through the text of chapter 1, and as we do that, I'm going to ask you just to use this lens as I read, uh, to watch for notions of change, notions of growth, and notions of maturation. So just see what stands out uh, as, we, as we read through, of what are the ways uh, Paul is pointing us toward this notion that we don't just settle for who, who you are right now. And I, I've got to say, I, you know, I, as I've just been thinking this week about Colossians and, um, and thinking about, okay, but if I take this seriously, um, you know, I'm 50, how old am I? I'll be 57 next 
Sunday. Um, and what what this text does is it it says Lee, um, you're not there yet. And what are what are you doing, Lee? What what do you need to see that you're not seeing about yourself? What ways do you need to take seriously growing? And I was not very happy with the fact that I woke up this morning thinking, oh my goodness, that's what it is for me right now. And I'm not particularly happy about it. But it's like, oh, I don't like that about me. And I don't like that realization about me that I, that I see this morning. Um, and, but, so, but then as I, as I journaled about this this morning, where I came to at the end of it was thinking about how liberating it was. That if I'll take seriously what I was given about the way I need to grow at this moment, that actually means a much more liberated life than if I stick in my stubborn habits, right? And that's, that's the thing that's crucial for us always to see about, about Christian faith is that it's never about um, repression of desire. It's not about constraint. It's not about saying you can't enjoy. It's actually about saying what does it mean to truly enjoy? What does it mean to be truly, authentically human, right? So this language of the new humanity that, that, that came out in the, in the overview there, right? That, that's the invitation of the gospel, is what does it mean to be truly human? Or as I, as I tell my students all the time, you know, my favorite quote from the early church fathers is from Irenaeus in the second century, who says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Isn't that beautiful? Right, and so that's, that's the invitation that we get in the book of Colossians of saying, you want, you want a good life? Right? This is what he's offering us. It's a good life, a truly good life. Right? Which is not sort of, as we'll see here even in chapter 1, which is not this sort of naive, everything's fine and everything's, you know, everything's hunky-dory. Because as we're going to see in chapter 1, he's like, he, and as it makes very clear, he's writing from prison. He's literally in prison. And the last thing he says at the book of Colossians is he says, you know, because typically in those days people would be writing through an amanuensis, someone who writes well, right? Like we use computers, they would have an amanuensis who writes it all out, right? But at the very end, he says, I write this with my own hand. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. But I don't think he's saying remember my chains and saying poor, poor me. What he's saying is that we're all in this together I want to know that you are with me and I am with you and we, even though I am in chains, am getting to live into the new humanity that we see in Christ. And he has joy in that. So as we read through chapter 1, think about growth, think about maturation, think about notions of change. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, 
and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. So two, um, just two notes I want to make about the the text and uh, Colossians generally, and then we'll turn to some uh, kind of a a discussion question that we'll spend a little bit of time working with. And the first thing is that, that, as the video made kind of nicely clear, I think, is that one of the things that has is very clear in the Apostle Paul, looking at his teachings throughout the New Testament, is that, uh, you know, Paul doesn't teach us that the end goal of Christianity is going to heaven when you die. Instead, the end goal is the redemption of all things in Christ. The end goal is what is called a new humanity, right? So, uh, in Colossians, for example, he'll say, uh, 
echoing the language from Galatians, it's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. I forget the exact language in Colossae. George might could help us here. It's, it's something like neither Scythian, barbarian, slave, or free. Um, but what he's doing is he, he's, he's looking at the realities that characterize divided, hostile groups in the world and saying instead the new humanity is that we are all one in Christ. That rather than the divisions that we have, what God is doing in Christ is reconciling all peoples and reconciling all things back to God's good purposes. And that the end of the story is not us going off to heaven. The end of the story is what we call new heavens and new earth to pick up the language from Isaiah. Um, or he'll explicitly use the language of new creation in the book of Galatians. That this is the end of the story of love working in all things and there being a new creation. And then a second kind of thing that I want to point out is this remarkable claim that Paul makes in chapter 1 about his suffering. And I think that this is a, this is a remarkable and sometimes hard, to, hard for me to accept psychologically, right? But Paul reframes notions of suffering. And so let me kind of do a, a quick discursus on this. It would be very quick. There, are, there seem to be, from the perspective of Scripture, at least two kinds of suffering that we might experience. The first kind of suffering that we might experience is the suffering that all humankind experiences, living as mortals in a created world. That is, it doesn't matter whether you believe Jesus is Lord or not, you're going to suffer grief. It doesn't matter whether you believe Jesus is Lord or not, you're going to suffer the pains of illness or the pains of injury. It doesn't matter whether you believe Jesus is Lord or not, you're going to learn to deal with the pain of relationships or social estrangement or familial estrangement or whatever the case may be. There are sufferings that are common to all of humankind. Right? But then there's a second kind of suffering that we see especially in Paul and that we see especially in Jesus, and that is this, that there's a suffering that comes voluntarily to us by choosing to embody in our lives as best we are able the new world that is on its way. That is, if we're in a world in which there's a sort of constant hostility and we choose to seek to embody a way of reconciling peaceable love, that will mean sometimes that you will suffer in ways that you would not suffer if you chose not to love. If we choose to be a people who know that the kingdom of light is characterized by speaking the truth in a world that so often plays with deceit and deception and forthright lies, if you choose to be a person of truth, that means that you have chosen that you will sometimes have to suffer in ways that you would not have to suffer if you chose not to be a person of truth. Does that make sense? And so what Paul is doing here is he's saying because he has proclaimed the truth of the Lordship of Christ and thus has even found himself in prison because of that, he is able to rejoice in that rather than lament that because he knows that this is what it means to be a person who bears witness to the new humanity. This is what it means to be a person who is who's actually participating in a whole new world coming into the midst of the world because his suffering bears witness to the fact that he has sought to be true to what is the most important thing 
in human history. Does that make sense? Isn't that a remarkable sort of claim? And thus he can kind of reframe that in this kind of sense of joy. All right, so let's do a little bit of, bit of discussion in the 10, 12 minutes we have left. And um, we've got this label, Turn and Share. In my, in my teaching, I call it a much more geeky uh, label of Think, Pair, Share. And so the way Think, Pair, Share works is that I'll ask you a question, and I want you to be quiet for 30 seconds and think about it. And then find one person you'll talk to, and let's see if you can talk to someone um, who is maybe that you didn't come in the room with. Let's try that and see if we can pair up. So that's the pair part. Think, pair. And with them, share your answer to the question. Everybody good? Everybody got it? So a little awkward to find, to, to meet someone that you, or talk with someone about this that you <coughs> didn't come in the room with. But we are all maturing to be people of Christ. So we can handle that. We can handle that. If, you, if we've got to be willing to be to suffer for our Lord, we can, we, can, we, can, we can have a conversation with someone we didn't come in the room with, right? So not too much of a stretch. All right. So, um, so this first question, um, let, let me just read both of them, and then you choose which one you want to share with the other person. How about that? Okay. What are some key ways your journeying with Christ has led to change or maturation? So just, you know, if you, if you were to summarize in a short answer to someone, I, I used to be kind of like this, and now I'm more like this. How would you summarize that? Or second, in what ways, areas, or facets of life are you currently growing, seeking to become fully mature in Christ? Or as the video put it, um, to think about life in the present as the kind of human you will become. I mean, this, is a, this is a fascinating way to think about it, right? If we know that in the full, fullness of the kingdom of God, kind of what we suspect life's supposed to look like, then the question is, well, how are you growing? Right? It's called the invitation of the gospel is, be that now, right? If you know that in the, in the kingdom to come, there's this peaceable reign of God, then what does it look for you to do that now? If you know that in the kingdom of, come, kingdom of God come fully, it's this kingdom in which we have let go of our hostilities or let go of our bitterness or let go of our resentment, what does it mean for you to, to look like that now? Right? That's, that's the invitation. So in what ways, facets, are you currently growing, seeking to become fully mature in Christ in that sense? So two questions for you to think about. So We'll do 30 seconds of silence for you to think about which one you want to answer and what your answer will be, and then we'll pair you up. Okay, here's our 30 seconds of silence. Okay, pair up with somebody, share, answer to whichever one you want to answer. So I didn't come into the room with you, so I'm going to pair up with this kitty. Uh, I've just got back from the Was there anybody in our room there? Yeah, there were about five or six. Yeah, the hard answer was all the time. Sue was there. Sue was there. Yeah, 
So we had about, I guess, about six people, Amos and uh, Ann. So and they're, they're uh, yeah, they were a good group. We had, we had a good time. Dave called so, uh, but I wanted to come to see what you had done in here. You know, I got to follow you. Well, I'm tough I, I cheated. I used the video. Oh, no, I think that's a great idea. You're not the only one. I think a couple others. I think that is. I was impressed with that. I'm like fascinated with it. I love it. Uh, I love the work that you guys did. Go back and watch it. Talk about it. And he goes like this. No, I didn't do that. Right. So, what did you do? I do not know. Yeah, I don't know a lot of them. I plan to hang around after class to see if I see them on my face. Did they do any introducing of themselves? share is the group share and in the group share just you're invite you to share anything that you shared with uh, the person you're, you're sharing with and so since not everybody in here knows everybody everybody knows one another and I don't know all of you um, please share your name and then just briefly share whatever it was that you shared about uh, in the conversation with your thought partner who will be brave and start us out who will break the ice who will get it rolling don't make me call on you. <laughs> I'm a teacher for a living. I know how to do that. Uh, my name is Tony McAllister. 
and we've been here for a couple of years now. Uh, perpetual visitors for a long time, and members for a couple of years. And you lost your parking spot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I have parking back now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the thing that Craig and I talked about mostly was that uh, being quite self-focused in my own family, my job, uh, my close uh, social network, and uh, spending time and energy there, but learning more about what we need to do to be a bit more outwardly focused and focus on strangers and other areas and, and try to be a bit more open and giving. Uh, some of that by volunteering for different organizations, some of that by being here and being more engaged in, in the church and being get to know some people we don't know, um, and just trying to find out how can I help them or sometimes struggle with how can they help me and, uh, and understand what those differences are. And I think that's part of the way I've been changing and maturing Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Very helpful. Thank you. And we're glad you and Lynn are here. Who's next? I'll go. I'm Jeannie Cable. And this is Magda. We had a wonderful chat. And we had similar responses, and that was we both had felt a softening in our uh, views toward others and our reaction toward others away from judging or being uh, holding on to grudges. Hmm. And that Thanks, Jeannie. Thank you. That's good work right there. Good soul work right there. Thank you. Somebody else? I'm David Dewar, and uh, what I find is that right now in my life, there's so much unknown. It's kind of like what Josh said earlier, that we're we just think we're in charge, that we just think we know what's going on, and to really be okay with being in the present of not knowing and being and holding that lightly, holding that knowledge lightly, is, is maturing me into being okay with not knowing. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, and um, I, I've been reading, I'm going to interview a theologian this week who talked a lot about what you just said, and... Um, and, he, and one thing I was reading this week where he talks about how one, one of the jobs of the church is also to remind the people in power who think they know what's going on and who think they have some control to remind them that that, that itself is also a delusion, right? <laughs> so in, any, in, any notion that we have of control is a delusion. And so one, the, the note to follow a crucified Christ, you know, God enfleshed, who the end of the story did not turn out well until later, right? Um, to embrace a crucified Christ means that we live in an out-of-control way, that we do not know the outcome, even when we are doing what is good and true and beautiful, right? And so that, that in some ways, is this kind of encapsulation of what Christian discipleship means, which makes possible the sort of letting go of grudges and letting go of judgment, which makes it makes possible paying attention to people more around us than we would otherwise. Uh, all sorts of implications that come out of that. So, thank you, David. Um, I'm Ashley Sertucci, and um, one of the things I was talking to my partner about uh, was maturing in my trust in the Lord, um, but learning, I mean, but knowing, understanding that I have trust issues with people <laughs> because of um, interacting and participating, participating in humanity and the disappointment um, that comes along with it and feeling like I can recover from disappointment mm. because there's no separating our Christian walk and humanity mm -hmm. if we're called to 
be the light, we gotta interact, and if we're afraid to interact, and we're afraid, we're not gonna be effective. Yeah. And so, trust in the Lord in doing the next thing that he's instructing instead of living in fear of disappointment. And so, yeah. Hey, I think you were reading my mail there. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate that. Very helpful. Thank you. Well, it's been wonderful to be with you all this morning. We're out of time. Um, Craig is, just got to join us. He was at West End this morning. But uh, are you teaching next week in here? I or? am. Okay. So Craig will be here next week. And uh, Pagan following the theologians. So, so we'll see how that goes. Well, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let the provost yeah, have, have, a, have a hand at it. So that'll be great. Uh, thank you all very much. Good to have a good to be with you, and have a great week.